0: In the immortal words of the Grinch, tomorrow is Christmas, it's practically here. So, who here feels ready for Christmas? A smattering of you, wonderful. On my way over here tonight, I, I'm not going to leave it on in the pulpit, but I, I did wear my, my, my Santa hat over here. I felt like wearing it in the pulpit would be distracting, but I, I did want to see how it looked with the collar on. And um, I think I probably look about as authentic as the Grinch did. I'm not the real Santa. Uh, But Georgia made me that hat because she has been diligently trying to make me into Santa ever since we got married. She is the one who bought me the suspenders. She made the hat, she makes me fix toys, and she has been fattening me up for 16 years. She's been remaking me from the skinny guy who asked her out into her own personal St. Nicholas. And I think she must be succeeding, because yesterday morning I I was running out to do some last-minute errands, and I go up to Wegmans, and I'm wearing my red flannel, and I'm wearing my hat, and I'm wearing my suspenders. And I walk in the door, and a mother is pushing her child around in the the cart, and he's no more than two. And he just points at me and starts screaming, Santa! Santa! So maybe I am the real Santa after all. Sometimes I wonder. Santa's job, as I understand it, is to spend all year getting ready for Christmas. And every year, in my capacity as the surrogate Santa Claus in the house, I feel like I'm doing a terrible job. I never feel completely ready for Christmas. Don't get me wrong, I'm still excited for tomorrow in spite of all of that, but I I can always think of something I'm forgetting something I forgot to order, something I forgot to wrap, a person I forgot to buy for entirely. And then sometimes I buy presents and forget I bought them, we lose them, and then I end up having to try to give them next year when they're no longer relevant and half the people you're not talking to anymore, that kind of thing happens. So there is always something I could have done better. I'm never as ready as I want to be. Now, how many of you can relate to that feeling? All right, a few honest souls. So I'll ask again: Who really feels ready for Christmas? When you really reflect on it, all right. Still got the same one. I was more expecting the the kids' hands to go shooting up. I got a handful of adults. That's that's nice. I know the kids have been looking forward to this all year, uh, but parents know that getting ready is hard, uh, especially if you're having company. And to have company over, I think for Christmas is probably the maximum of pressure because. And I've said this kind of thing before, but, you know, my kids, they're used to the mess, right? I don't have to impress them. But for guests, you try to pretend that you live in an entirely different way. You want people to think that the rugs are always this clean, that you dust regularly, that we bathe on a regular basis, you know? You want to make a good impression. And not only that, you have to be cheerful about all of this stuff so that the whole family thinks that we're always this clean and happy. I can't be George's personal, St. Nick, if I'm miserable the whole time at Christmas. I'm supposed to try to wear a smile the whole time. George always tells the kids, Daddy's in charge of what? What am I in charge of, kids? Fun. Daddy is in charge of fun. It's like a slogan in my house. I think that's all I'm in charge of in my life could be worse, but it's not always easy. And since I'm in charge of fun, me, the guy in the Santa hat, I got to be on my game at Christmas. And you know, it really shouldn't be that hard when you think about it, because I've known for 12 months that Christmas is coming, correct? It's not exactly a surprise, is it, right? Christmas comes reliably on December the 25th. So I have had roughly 364 days to figure this out. So I don't really have an excuse. It's not like it's Easter, which is always a surprise, right? (laughs) I'm convinced nobody actually knows what the rules are for determining the date of Easter every year. I think we just all look at our Google calendar and somebody at Google flips a coin and that's just how this works. But not so with Christmas. We have had the whole year to get ready. And this is the final night of, of the Advent season, right? And, and we've been talking about waiting well on Sunday mornings, how to anticipate biblically in this season, right? And we've been learning alongside Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary just what that should look like. Uh, God's been teaching them what to do while they wait, but it seems kind of like the key thing was that they had something that they were waiting for that they knew about. There was an end point to this, and the end point is Mary's due date. They're waiting for the birth of this special baby. And Mary's baby is going to change everything. He's the one who would be the eternal king. He's the one that God was going to use to bless all the uh, families of the world. Uh, Gabriel said he would be called the son of the Most High. That's kind of a big deal. They were going to be visited by God's own son, the hope of Israel. And Mary had only nine months to prepare for the first Christmas. And really, only six months when you consider she she didn't leave Elizabeth's house right away, right? So six months, that's not a ton of time, is it? And getting ready for a baby takes a while. Uh, Of course, ideally speaking, you should be preparing the whole time. Uh, I know that Georgia spent all nine months preparing mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, We would set up a nursery, right? You, You order car seats, You arrange for the grandparents to come and help out. You you go to midwife appointments. You buy diapers. Basically, the same kind of things Mary was probably doing all that time. And if my experience is anything to go on, it only gets crazier at the end because nesting is a real thing with women. I remember Georgia would have this sudden burst of energy right at the end, right? And she would suddenly be cooking and cleaning and painting and moving furniture. And all because her body's internal clock was telling her that she needed to get ready. And honestly, it strikes me that a nesting mother at the end of her pregnancy is busier than Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. It's an amazing thing to behold. And I'm betting that's how Mary felt. Like she was frantically trying to get ready for the baby to arrive. And of course, it's not just any baby. Of course, she's preparing the nursery for the Son of God. And that's a pretty heavy task. Now I don't know what kind of guests you guys are entertaining this weekend. I'm assuming it probably doesn't measure up to that. And I'm sure Mary was doing her best. And she's just about ready, or at least as ready as you can be, given the circumstances. And Joseph's a carpenter, so I'm sure he could make a crib. He could make her a rocking chair. He could make things as comfortable as he can. Mary's been painting, doing Lamaze, uh, making arrangements for her mom to come over and help out with the laundry, right? They've done all they can to get ready for Christmas, right? And then Luke chapter 2 gets started. Just the first seven verses is what I wanted to zoom in on. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, bureaucratic stuff, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, so there's more to come. That's nice. At this point, scale of 1 to 10, how ready do you think Mary felt for this baby to arrive? I mean, I want you to imagine being Mary, walking into Bethlehem, a two-bit little village a few miles outside of Jerusalem, right a town she's probably never been to because why would anybody go there? even Joseph may have never been there it's just some place where his great great grandfather used to live right it's the equivalent like for me of my grandfather growing up in granite falls minnesota out in yellow medicine county you know i've never been there why would i be there there's nothing to see and they walk in at night into this two bit town and suddenly the first contractions start coming and it suddenly dawns on mary oh no it's happening now This is not the way this was supposed to go down. This is not how she wanted it. Away from her parents, with a man she hardly knows, away from all the nesting prep work you've been doing for the last six months in a town you've never visited before in your life. You don't know anybody in the town that you can stay with. There aren't even any beds left in the hotels, which probably weren't that nice anyway. Mary probably never would have felt fully prepared for the birth of Jesus anyway. But this government edict just undid what little preparation she had been able to make. This is a nightmare, the original nightmare before Christmas, before Tim Burton came along. And it struck me that the government is really good at ruining Christmas, aren't they? These days it's, you know, COVID policies and inflation and gas prices and supply chain issues and such. In Mary's day, it was the government ruining everything by making people travel also that caesar could have an easier time counting heads and you know the whole point of a census is usually to either raise armies or raise taxes so it's never good news a message from the government is almost never good news you know i received a christmas card from philadelphia this week it didn't say merry christmas to think of it, it wasn't a card either. Uh, It said I failed to file taxes there in 2019 and has threatened legal action against me. It's a very nice note to send Christmas week, you know. It's kind of like Mr. Potter says in It's a Wonderful Life. Merry Christmas to you in jail, you know. But I'll give credit where it's due. At least they didn't demand that I come down there tonight and sleep in a stable outside City Hall so they can deal with me tomorrow, right? I think This whole scene in Luke 2 is hard for us to fully appreciate because if God is coming to visit, you really want to put your best foot forward, you know? It's kind of like finding out that the queen is coming to visit, right? We just finished watching the first two seasons of The Crown. We very much appreciated the first two seasons anyway. And occasionally you'd have these scenes where Queen Elizabeth would visit some private citizen, some friend, right, just in town there. And you can see how it would surprise people when she walked in the door. And I would, sometimes I've imagined this even before this show, but I, I've imagined, like, what would, it, what would I do if the queen was coming to visit? And I try to picture how we would put our best foot forward. And I've considered, basically, it looks a lot like preparing for my in-laws, actually. Um, but my fantasy of the queen coming to visit doesn't usually include her showing up on like five minutes' notice The same week my kids all have the flu and the plumbing is backed up and the kitchen's under construction. I would want to be a little more ready than that. And honestly it would seem almost like rude of her to show up when we were so unprepared. If she asked to come on such a week I would probably politely ask if we could do this like another time. Having guests when you're not ready is embarrassing and stressful. We're still reading the little house books. I don't want to ruin anything for you if you're planning on reading them this uh, Christmas break, but the, the book we're in now opens up in like the saddest way of any book. <laughs> it, it starts out there, living at, at Plum Creek. It's actually not far from my grandfather's hometown, Granite Falls in Minnesota. Uh, and in the opening scene, Laura's looking out the door and she sees a wagon coming up the road toward the house and she yells to Ma to let her know someone is coming. They don't know who it is. They're not expecting anybody. But Ma just immediately just sighs. And it's a sad, exhausted sigh. And Laura then begins to describe why. Because she says that the house is torn to shreds. No one's been able to clean. The family has just recovered from a bout of scarlet fever. And they're alive, but they're all weak. And Laura's sister has been permanently struck blind by it. Her hair has had to be shaved off. There's not much to eat because Pa's farm has been failing since they arrived there because of grasshopper swarms. They're in debt up to their eyeballs, and their faithful dog Jack is on his last legs. So the whole house has been in a state of mourning for months. They were not ready for company. If you're trying to put your best foot forward when, when someone's coming to visit, no matter who it is, you know, that's just not the way you want it to be. And I read that first chapter of the book and it was so sad that I insisted on reading another to wash it out of it and prove our mood a little bit and the second chapter got worse. It's the two saddest chapters in children's literature I've ever read. But my heart broke for Ma Ingalls because she wasn't ready. And I could relate to that. There's nothing worse than being caught unprepared. How can you, how can you welcome guests when you can barely keep things together for just the people living there? So it makes you feel panicked, and it makes you feel ashamed. And I think that's how Mary would have felt. It's kind of like getting a pop quiz. Who here enjoys getting pop quizzes? When, how many of you are students still? Does anybody like getting a pop quiz? Really? No. really? <laughs> Nobody enjoys them really, and why not? Because they're designed to make you look stupid, that's why. Why? I should know, because I use them in my civics class at Excelsior for that entire reason. That's it. I don't even grade them. It's just to make them feel like, you know, you don't know anything. (laughs) And Mary may not feel stupid, but this was clearly not what she was hoping for. It's not what she's prepared for. She would not feel ready. And in fairness, Gabriel never told her to expect to give birth on the road, several days away from home. And when you consider it that way, I bet this also felt a little unfair. Like a pop quiz, or like the queen dropping in unannounced, how could she have prepared for this? If I were Mary, I would begin to wonder whether God had somehow lost track of things, as if somehow this has to be an oversight on his part. Maybe God didn't see this census coming. Maybe he's up there like, boy, Caesar really really goofed this thing up for us. Now, we all know, benefit of hindsight, uh, that this all had to happen to fulfill the prophecy that Cheryl read earlier out of Micah. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that even if she had known that, Mary probably wouldn't have found much comfort in that at the time. Not when the contraction started. If Gabriel had barged in and said, surprise! baby has to come right now in Bethlehem to fulfill a promise that God made in the prophets. I'm thinking Mary might have started throwing things. Because <laughs> she wanted to give this baby something better. And I'm sure Joseph was feeling it too. My new favorite Christmas song is the Chris Rice tune uh, Welcome to Our World. The kids sang it last Christmas Eve and I had to sit up here and fight back tears. I'm not crying, you are. Um, that song has a lot of power, I think, but it has power, I think, it's because the central theme is really just how unprepared we are to welcome God. It's a sweet song, but you could almost read some of the lyrics as being sarcastic. Hope you don't mind our manger. Make yourself at home. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world? It's a mess. We, we can't get anything right, Jesus. Your, your people are enslaved once again. We're under the thumb of yet another world power. Uh, most of us are still not walking faithfully. Everything around us is filthy and we're poor and you have no ga- grandparents nearby to help out and your parents are probably fighting and we can't even offer you a proper bed. We've been waiting for thousands of years since Adam and Eve for a savior And you still caught us at a bad time. We're still not ready. We're never ready. Georgia spent most of today trying to fix five batches of fudge that the kids made yesterday to hand out to you all, good folks, this evening. That was supposed to be our gift. Not sure what went wrong, but it came out the consistency of peanut butter, and we can't work with it. <laughs> now, not surprisingly, she felt that same sense of panic that I've been feeling all week, and she texted me while I was here at the office, hiding away because I wasn't in my Santa mood and didn't want to be home. I'm over here writing doing my own worrying, and we both apparently spent part of the day just feeling stupid and unprepared and tired. And a little ashamed, because what if people find out how unprepared we really are? It's actually the same kind of phobia that sometimes gives me literal nightmares that I get occasionally about waking up on a Sunday with no sermon written yet. That same level of panic in Christmas just raises those stakes a little bit. We don't feel ready. And apparently Christmas has had that effect on people since the very beginning. For all the lessons God has been teaching Mary and Joseph on how to wait well, no one feels ready when Jesus shows up. So, why do you think Jesus chose to come at this time when they felt especially not ready? Do you think he did it to make Joseph and Mary feel stupid? Do you think he did it to be rude? you think he did it to increase their sense of shame? Does that sound like our Jesus, the Jesus we know? Of course not. He comes to make our blessings flow, far as the curse is found, or as Georgia sometimes has to remind me, far as the cursing is found. He came because he was not ashamed to come down here and become one of us. If he was going to come here, he wanted the full experience. It's almost like when Eddie Murphy arrives in New York and coming to America. He goes to that shady landlord and says, "We seek meager accommodations." <laughs> He's a prince, but he wants to live like everyone else in New York, not like a VIP. And that's our Jesus. Jesus didn't want to live in a palace and avoid the realities of life that most of us are facing. And if he had waited until we were ready, we'd still be waiting. So he came to us at our lowest point. To a humble girl from a humble family in the humblest nation on earth. And on the most inconvenient week imaginable. And he did it gladly. Because he was not ashamed to come down here so that he could call you and me brother and sister. So if you're like us tonight struggling to get ready and failing miserably, whether it's your own fault or your kid's fault or the government's fault, it's okay. That's the gift of Christmas. We don't have to get ready for his first coming anymore. He was already here, and nothing you can screw up can undo what he already accomplished. That's the good news. You can't ruin Christmas. The main gift already arrived, and it arrived right on time. So we might as well stop trying to impress him and just receive him. Ready or not, let earth receive her king. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for this chance that you've given us to celebrate, Lord to celebrate the coming of your son, Lord, something we were not ready for, we were never going to be ready for. Lord, but you loved us and you sent him anyway and you sent him right when you meant to. Not when we could get it all straightened out and figured out and look our best, but at our worst. And you loved us anyway. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for the chance to celebrate it tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.